Peace to you and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and 13 through 25. I'll be reading that throughout the sermon, but to remind you of that account, I will read verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not allow anyone to put the yoke of slavery on you again. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Many years ago, before I even started to study to be a pastor, when I was attending the university, I had a job at nights in the dorms. And one of the residents in that dorm was a foreign exchange student from a European country. He had fallen in with the wrong crowd, and he was partying all the time. And it seemed most of the time that I had problems in the night that I had to take care of. He was involved or the reason for the problems. One day, as I was telling him he had to knock it off or he was going to be kicked out of the dorms, he told me, relax, it's a free country. America is a free country, isn't it? But the problem is he had confused freedom for anarchy. You, as we just heard in verse 1, were called, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ has set you free. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ... Can we be like that guy in Corinth who says, Well, I'm free and is bragging because he's having intercourse with his stepmother? Or maybe we need to say, You've got to do this, this, and this to be responsible with your freedom. Well, that would be a list of the law, wouldn't it? So today in our sermon, we will ask the question, What does Christian freedom look like? Now, the problem that exchange student had is, Yes, he was right. It is a free country. And you realize that as long as we use our freedom selflessly, we have absolute freedom. My neighbor does not need one law to protect him from me so long as I'm a good neighbor. It's when I become selfish. It's when I decide I got to jam up my stereo, boom, 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 at three in the morning that my neighbor wants to have a law passed to stop me from doing that, right? Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, in verse 13, we're told, For you yourselves were called into this freedom, brothers. Only do not turn this freedom into a starting point for the flesh. Literally, the Greek verb where the army starts is they shout, Attack! And they start running. Ah, Christ has removed my guilt. Christ will forgive me. I will run into sin. It's not understanding our freedom right. So he says, but start and don't stop serving each other through this love. The love he's talking about here is the love God had for you that he's put in your heart. So now God's love shines through you as you love your fellow man. In other words, it's the love Christians are known for. It is Christian love. And he says, for the whole law has been fulfilled in one word in this command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why doesn't Paul add the, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul? He's talking to people who are believers. And in the problem here, he's focusing on their relationship with each other. Now, we can turn around and put a brother or sister in Christ in the yoke of the law to turn around and say, you have to love me. Now, you start showing that love. That's law motivation. And yet, all the law pours into that word, love. And how does that love in Christian freedom, that love God's put in our heart, what does it look like? It's hard for our American ears to hear. Because America is the land of opportunity. The idea is you get ahead at your workplace and then you got people underneath you and you tell them what to do. That's how it works. 
But that's what our sinful nature likes when it applies to all of our relationships. And so he says that start and don't stop serving each other in that Christian love. What? Freedom looks like service? Yes. Christ saved you by taking on human flesh and living perfectly in your place. And then he removed your sins. God himself was not above serving. And you and I have a new motivation to serve brothers and sisters in Christ. Whenever a Christian says you have to be serving or you won't be saved, they're making service a condition for your salvation. Actually, you're saved and so you serve. Let me explain. You cannot serve somebody unless you're a Christian without a whole bunch of the sinful nature strings attached to it. I often in the wintertime will stop and pull people out of ditches. Because they're stuck. Why do I do that? Because I've been stuck and have appreciated people pulling me out. I have a selfish motivation there. Sometimes we're happy to serve our spouses and our children, but we do that because they're our own flesh and blood. And yes, lots of times, even with our friends, we're willing to serve them, but even with our friends, lots of times, what makes them our friend, you know, besides commonality? Well, I scratch their back and they scratch mine, right? I even listen to people who seem to serve selflessly and they say, it just makes me feel so good. And there's the selfish motivation. In and of ourselves and our natural condition, our sinful nature is a puppet to the devil. We're slaves to the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, our sinful flesh. And we truly are not free to serve. We have to do the will of that sinful nature. And remember, he's the devil's puppet. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ has set you free. As Luther said in his address on Christian freedom, Christ has made you Lord over all. You are his brothers and sisters. He's the God of creation. And yet you are a free, dutiful servant to all. Because Christ's love is in your heart, you are willing to serve others to show them God's love. And it's just built into your new man to do this. And in fact, we can even serve with our possessions because we know that God has provided for us and will continue to provide for us. So really, we shouldn't have a care in this world, should we? Because we know that all is taken care of and that Christ has saved us. And so what does Christian freedom look like? Not the selfishness of the sinful nature, but the selflessness of serving. Serving so that we can show God's love and seeing it as a privilege to do so. But that's not the only thing that freedom looks like. See, we have to admit that in America, we have to fight to keep our freedom. We have to even vote because other people will take our freedom away from us. Freedom certainly looks like a struggle, doesn't it? The Apostle Paul says in verse 15, Yet if you keep on biting and you keep on devouring each other, then look out that you are not gobbled up by each other. The minute I start saying, well, yeah, and this was the problem with the Galatians. Judaizers came along and they said, well, yeah, you're saved by Christ and you're free. But you've just got to have a certain very painful procedure and a very sensitive part of the male body removed. One little act of the law. But once we start making our salvation depend on that, on one little act of the law, then we'll start looking at each other. I'm better than you because I went through that older and I didn't need any painkillers. And then the other person gets jealous. We start biting at each other. But real quickly, we're biting back and forth at each other. And then we're like a feeding frenzy and a pack of wild animals just tearing each other up. And that's what our sinful nature will do with the law. So the Apostle Paul says, 
Now what I'm saying is start and don't stop conducting yourselves, literally walking about in your life, in what is spirit. And you will never bring any of the cravings of what is flesh to completion. Now there's a big debate here. We're talking about the Holy Spirit or your new man. To me it's pretty clear since we're contrasting our sinful nature that he's talking about spirit here as new man, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to that new man. So it doesn't matter either way. You have the same outcome. But the point here is... The sinful flesh has one desire. It's the devil's puppet. And it wants you to embrace a sin, grab onto that sin, so that it has the place God is supposed to have, so that your new man is no longer breathing and you just squeeze that Holy Spirit right out of its heart. But the Apostle Paul says, Walk by your new man, and you will never bring to completion any of the cravings of your sinful flesh. Yes, our sinful flesh will get its sucker punches in. We still sin. But it won't get the ultimate goal in of squeezing the Holy Spirit out of our heart. It's struggle, brothers and sisters in Christ. Christian freedom is struggle against our sinful nature who foolishly wants to run right back into the slavery of the devil. And so the Apostle Paul says in verse 17, in fact, the flesh, that's our old Adam, desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Indeed, each opposes the other with the result that you are not doing the things you are wanting to do. Before the Holy Spirit entered your heart, the sinful nature was at the will. Period. There was no other choice. Now the new man's at the will, but the sinful nature is a backseat driver, isn't he? And he'll even reach over and grab the wheel and give it a jerk if he can. So when I'm sinning, my sinful nature hates it because my new man is right there resisting him. But when you and I are doing what is good and gracious to the Lord, even acting in love... Well, because of our sinful nature, it's like we've just stepped in manure and even the good fruit we produce stinks like that manure on our shoe. No matter what we do, the sinful nature is always there stinking things up. But when the sinful nature is, seems to be winning out, the new man is right there tripping him up as well. What does Christian freedom look like? It looks like struggle. And you will have this struggle until the day Christ separates your soul from your body in death and takes you to heaven, or he returns, whichever comes first. But you are now free to do that struggle. You were not free to struggle before. You were a slave to the devil's will. And so well, there's another struggle that we have as well, and that's stated in verse 1. It is in respect to this freedom that Christ freed you from that slavery of the law and from the slavery of the devil. Therefore, start standing firm without ever stopping and never again be under the control of the yoke of slavery. The minute we start saying, just, just a little, just circumcision, one act of the law and you're saved, or just, just the right amount of offerings, or you just have to come to church these right amount of Sundays, we're already starting to put a yoke of slavery on each other. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if you talk to most Christians, they actually do this and don't realize it simply with our morality. Christian morality is built into your new man, it shows. But when we start saying you have to act morally the right way, we're already taking people back to the law. Rather, your new man is naturally built in to do this. So we've got to be very careful that we're not imposing burdens on each other of the law. That's a yoke. So we're struggling not to do that, even to our own selves. And so he says in verse 18, Yet if you are being led by what is spirit, then you are not under any law. Isn't that amazing? See, I would argue I really don't need speed control laws. It's like for sometimes when you're in a new area. Speed limits. I recognize if I drive through a neighborhood at 90 miles an hour, even at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm putting my neighbor's pets and anybody who may be out in jeopardy. 
You and I, our new man does not need the law. He is connected to Christ. And connected to Christ as a branch to the vine, he naturally produces those fruits. As Luther one time said, you don't have to tell the sun to shine. That's what God built it to do. That's what your new man does. And when your new man is in control, he's naturally made of God's will and God's holiness. So we see that struggle. Now, the law serves as a mirror curb and a guide in our lives, brothers and sisters in Christ. But your new man is free. Free from the obligation. Free from the guilt. He just naturally does it because you're connected to Christ. So what does Christian freedom look like? It's struggle. Struggle against the sinful nature and struggle against the yoke of the law. But brothers and sisters in Christ, while we're exercising our freedom, even here in America, we often want to see the snares that will take our freedom away. And so the Apostle Paul discusses those snares for us. He says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Namely, these are fornication, filth, and indulgence. Now these very first ones, obviously our sinful nature can have several sins in, in the department of, of sexuality. But uncleanliness, that filth, it's, it's just those ceremonial laws of cleanliness, those things that would, you know, if you've done this, you're unclean, and a little leaven leavens the whole lump, makes us filthy. And then again, uh, indulgence, that's lack of self-restraint. That's when the sinful nature gets behind the steering wheel. Those are the desires of the sinful flesh. We're on the lookout for those so that we see the snare. He says, idolatry and sorcery. This is the religion of the sinful nature. Idolatry. In America today, maybe we think we're too smart to make idols out of wood that we made and then think they're powerful enough to help us. Oh, but we still have our idols. Oftentimes, they're these little plastic squares we carry in our, in our back pockets or in our purses. Oh, and they're printed in green. We have our idols, but the greatest idol we serve is our own selfishness. Everything we want. And, and that word that we translate as sorceries, actually the Greek word we get our word for pharmacy, where you mix elements and you take them and they help with an illness. But in this case, it's used superstitiously, like charms. The idea there, if I can control God, like a genie in the bottle, I can pull out and say, now you do this for me, now get back in the bottle and leave me alone. And it's sad, even the cross... The cross can become a lucky charm for us. As long as I got a cross on my keychain, then I'm okay. The, the new man is behind the wheel. The cross reminds us of our Christian freedom and it reminds us of the price. But if we turn around and treat it like a lucky amulet, that's the religion of the sinful nature. It's another one of its snares we've got to be careful for. He says hostilities, literally hatred, quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfish ambitions. Do you see the mercilessness of our sinful nature? While God has set us free, poured his blood upon us, we can easily turn around and say, but this person hurt me and I won't forgive them. There it is. There's the mercilessness of the sinful nature. And it's amazing how often harboring a grudge can start to drive the Holy Spirit out of a heart. Selfish ambitions, divisions, that's disagreements that destroy unity, splinter groups. Now, the interesting thing is the Greek word for splinter groups is the word in which we get heresies. Because these groups, they splinter off based on various opinions, loyalties, and beliefs. And he says envies. You would be surprised how many of the great heretics in Christian history began their heresy because they were jealous of another Christian. And often the very Christian they were jealous of was the great person in history God had rise up to stand against the heresy they were teaching. The sinful nature will divide. He'll divide up and cause splinter groups. So we see the groups, the cliques of the sinful nature. 
But the sinful nature also has appetites. And he says drunkenness, and the Greek word literally is excessive festivities. They used to eat so much that they just were, were absolutely stuffed and doing this all the time. The sinful nature, its appetites are excessive. You can never completely satisfy it. So he says in things similar to these. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our Christian freedom, we're looking out for those snares so that the sinful nature doesn't grab us. Because we're told in verse 21, uh, the second half, I'm telling you guys in advance, just as I've said before, that those who keep on doing such things will not inherit God's kingdom. God's kingdom is his rule in your heart. It's the invisible church. And our sinful nature will let any one of these have a place in their heart that's meant for God. And if we've done that, we'll squeeze the Holy Spirit out of our heart. So the warning there is, yes, Christian freedom is struggle. Not to run out and embrace sin, but struggle to be on the lookout for its snares. But brothers and sisters in Christ, what does Christian freedom look like? It's not a bunch of don'ts. It's actually a bunch of fruit. Fruit growing because we're connected to Christ. Now the fruit produced by the Spirit, this is what the new man is built to do because he's connected to Christ, is love. Now, we already covered that at the beginning of the sermon. Peace. Now, this is a peaceful mind towards God because we know our sins are forgiven. He's no longer our enemy. He's our heavenly daddy and our brother and the one, the Holy Spirit who lives in our heart, having given birth to our new man. But it's also peace with our neighbor. When my new man is behind the steering wheel of my life and your new man is, you don't have to worry about your neighbor being angry with you unless they're being truly unreasonable, right? Because you have that love, that servant's heart. Patience. Oh, we are willing to be patient with each other in ways our sinful nature would never allow. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Being faithful with God's word and faithful with the things he's entrusted to us, especially the care of our brother and sister in Christ. Gentleness and self-control. The Apostle Paul says, against such things there is no law. He's really emphasizing this. These really are the big fruits that God's Holy Spirit has made grow in every one of our hearts. And that grows only in freedom. The sinful nature will, will not let that grow, period. That only grows in freedom. And so verse 24 says, Now those belonging to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh together with its passions and desires. The cross was a torture device. And when God brought you to faith, you yourself now actively cling to Christ's cross and you actively resent your sinful nature. You literally torture it. You are torturing it right now by hearing the word. Hopefully the sermon is not a torture to your ears as well. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you torture it to death because it is no longer in control. You are free and your new man is behind the steering wheel. And so verse 25 says, If we live in what is spirit, then let us walk in line with what is spirit. The new man is built to do that because he's connected to Christ, and that's one of the many fruits of faith. So yes, that particular night, a man who was constantly partying and constantly creating problems in the dorm said, relax, it's a free country. And he totally misunderstood using our freedom and even what freedom looks like. It's not anarchy. But today we have seen what freedom truly does look like. Freedom is service. We're free to serve for no selfish reasons at all because we've been served by Christ. Freedom is struggle against the sinful nature, against the yoke of the law, seeing the snares. But freedom means now you can grow those fruits just because God's built it into your new man and his love is in your heart. Amen. Now, may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.